0: On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Ian Brooks, psychologist and corporate consultant to talk about his new book, Intention. We talk about his experiences working with people on a locked down ward and then at high profile corporations, how they were different and the common themes that he experienced in both. We also discuss embracing the fact that we all have unique experiences, thoughts and goals, and why it's important to take these into consideration in everything that we do. I hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, welcome to Journey25 and today I have Ian Brooks on the program and I'm excited to talk to Ian. He has some really cool experiences and um, actually just wrote a book that he's going to talk a little bit about. Um, but I guess Ian to start off here, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, a um, little bit about your past, kind of what got you to where you are now, um, you know, where you grew up, maybe a little bit about your childhood and then you know what you've been doing professionally
1: for the last little bit. Sure. So hello, everyone, and pleasure to meet with you today, Jared, and talk about uh, the journey that we all have. Um, I've been in the field of uh, like change management for about 25 years, working with people in the psychology field, both as a clinical therapists while also being in organizations. Um, and also my passion for being and working with people started off when I was a kid. Um, I can recall a time in high school where I thought to myself, I wonder why people do what they do. Um, I, and I was always curious to really see what drove people toward certain decisions. And that reality for me came when my parents were having an argument and I was just got emotional about it. And I started crying. So two things resonated one to me. One, I made the decision that day not to cry ever again in my life because I got tired of crying. And then secondly, why do people do what they do? And that curiosity is, has been a trajectory for me in some of the decisions I've made both from a career standpoint and just general interest. Um, I grew up in Virginia, right outside DC, and um, my journey has taken me from DC to, here in the States, to um, Alabama and Georgia, um, and now here on the West Coast, all afforded me an opportunity to work in different industries, as I mentioned, from a clinical psychology background, so I worked with children and adults, Um, when I was working with the adults, I was working um, in a 24 hour lockdown ward. And um, you want to talk about a real life and sobering experience. <laughs> yeah. uh, let, me, let me tell you, uh, very interesting experience and has established my foundation from a knowledge base on how people interact and how they make decisions and what does influence them. And I think it was one day when I was actually um, washing a grown man because he couldn't wash himself. I thought I need to make better decisions <laughs> actually in the ward. And then I made the de- switch over to Working with corporations and people from a coaching standpoint, one-on-one, and using the skills that I learned as a therapist, just from the act of listening, having the conversation, and most importantly, caring, um, has really provided a great transition to me as I work with my clients today, um, both from organizational change perspective, as well as through context of one-on-one coaching and in that narrative as well. One, caring for people and how they um, really want to improve their own particular story. that has led me to actually, as you described, to writing my book, Intention. Um, and this is my very first book. It'll be released on April uh, uh, 27th, and it's really intended to bridge that gap of that self-help of what can we do individually to actually move forward and closing some of our gaps of some of the traditional self-help books of hey, let's just jump to the result or talk um, in certain generalities. I really put the focus back on you. Put the focus up front on building a foundation, which I think is one of the biggest challenges that we haven't changed. So I'm glad to meet with you today. And that's a little bit about me and my background.
0: Really cool. And, you know, I'm just curious, Ian, um, just kind of, you know, clicking into a little bit on making that switch from, you know, more the therapy world to the coaching world and, you know, going from a high, you know, high intense, high stress, um, you know, environment to, well, a different, you know, a different type of high stress environment. And, um you know a little bit more of that corporate you know high achiever world what do you think was the catalyst
1: for making that switch sure so i think it's there's two a catalyst and then what the, some of the variations are and even potentially some of the similarities the catalyst for me um aside from my joking aside of washing a grown man was how do i actually deal with that emotion inside like when i when i was being a therapist i wasn't i was holding on to the emotions of which i was hearing And from the stories of the individuals of whom I was working with, be it individually or in group therapy. And I didn't know how to let that go. I took it home with me. So at the end of the day, I was just exhausted, just emotionally and mentally exhausted. And, you know, obviously to to take myself off the hook for a moment, if if I may, then at that moment, I wasn't ready and I didn't know how to let things go. But so I held on to it. But I knew that the skills I was learning could easily transfer over to the different skill sets of people every single day because we all have our own challenges as well as we all have our own goals and expectations. So even moving, as you mentioned, to the corporate side where you have high achievers, where you have people who are driven to actually make change happen, um, that in and of itself was a challenge because we think we know better. Um, When we're having conversations when you're dealing with especially high achievers and those who have titles within organizations, um, they got there for a reason. And then that isn't and should not be diminished in any respect. But we all have challenges. We all have opportunities to grow and learn. And thus, having a conversation of what someone else believes they know to be true versus in a clinical therapy setting in a lockdown ward where you're being told you have to be here, that's a little bit different. So the conversation is a little bit different. It's a lot more engagement. It's a lot more let me meet you where you are, let me see what you are now willing to do by choice, and now let's now move forward on a particular path that's gonna make you more successful or refine the edges on how you're actually interacting in the business.
0: Yeah, you know, that's that's interesting too, and it kind of makes sense where, you know, in your first in the lockdown ward, it was, I imagine all, if not the vast majority, were there almost against their will, right? Or they have to be there. Mm -hmm. Right, Mm -hmm. and then you move on to the, you know, again, the more corporate world, and it's, you know, they these people want to improve, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it it resonated a ton as well when you're talking about taking those emotions home, right? Because, like for me, I've always um, been a huge empath, and I take on other people's emotions, and especially, you know, when I'm, um, you know, it's I I joke that it's my superpower, right? It's being Mm -hmm. able to see where where other people are coming from and be able to empathize with them. However, that takes a big toll on me a lot of times because I need to embody those emotions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm, what came to mind too, is, you know, this idea of almost, you know, being selfish to be selfless. Right. And do you think there was a part where it was getting to be just too much for you. Whereas, you know, I feel like I cannot, I can no longer do the job as well as I know I can, because it's just, I'm taking this home too much. And, you know, I'm really gonna be doing a disservice to the patients. And so therefore I'm gonna go into a different environment, um, you know, one that's more fulfilling to me or one that isn't, you know, I don't need to take these things home so that I can help people better. Did that factor into it at all? I'm curious.
1: Well, it, it, the, what really factored into it, it wasn't less about, it was less about being selfless and mm-hmm. being afraid of my impact to those individuals in the ward because again, they had a lot of challenges again from a chemical imbalance standpoint and then putting them right back into their environment. The biggest challenge I had was what was the disservice I was doing to myself? Yeah. Because I wasn't able to let it go. Um, I, I kind of liken it to um, the Green Mile, uh, the movie Green Mile and with Michael Clark Duncan's characters taking on the pain of, in this particular instance, um, Tom Hanks and, and pulling out all the pain that he had. and when you pull that in and you're holding on to it, like in the movie, Mark, Michael Clark Duncan's character could actually regurgitate that out. Well, I had no way of doing that. I, I didn't have the means both mentally or just the process to do that. And I, and I really didn't think about it in that regard. Um, but I knew it was doing a disservice for me because it was eating me up in, in a number of different respects. Now, I fast forward to working with, with, with my clients in the corporate space, even, even one-on-one on a personal level. I do take their ideas home with me, but not in the same way. I know that we are making choices and we're t- talking about that upfront. We're talking about who they are upfront and now just acknowledging that and based off of who they are and their choices, that energy coming back to me of, hey, you didn't do what you were supposed to do, or we find ourselves right back where we originally were. Now we have an anchoring point to say, okay, you made this choice. Here's what we said. Here was the likely outcome, so I'm less inclined to not to say I don't care as much, as much as we planned for this and we knew that was probably going to happen. So that weight is a little bit different in that respect as well. And I also have to go, you know, mention as well that sometimes um, when I'm working with clients, they don't come on their own fruition. They're actually I'm assigned to them. So sometimes it's well, why are you here? <laughs> so that's also the other part too. It's like well. I need a coach, okay, well, let's talk about this and my role and what I'm here uh, to help you do.
0: You know, and it's interesting too that you say that because one of the biggest realizations I've had when, you know, I kind of started on my journey of, you know, um, self-improvement and self-discovery was that the person themselves needs to be willing to do the work. Otherwise, you're not, you can't force somebody to do it. Right, and you can make minor improvements. You can make minor tweaks. But if that person is not ready to fully commit themselves to doing it, um, it's you're not going to get very far. And I think a lot of people either trick themselves into thinking of like, oh, I'm actually ready, but I don't want to do the hard stuff. Right? I'm going to start. <laughs> I'm going to start easy, or you know, taking these tiny little steps that they you know build up in their minds to be these huge, you know, life changing moments um have you experienced that at all I'm curious of you know people that aren't when they aren't willing to do the work either because they're forced to be there or um they just mentally you know they think that they are but they're not truly ready have you run into that and um what are your experiences with
1: it yeah I definitely run into it quite a bit um actually in my book intention one of the reasons I start with discovery is about understanding what are we truly solving for Because that re-anchors people back to what do you think you are solving? Because quite frankly, what you think we're solving for isn't really what we need to be solving for. It's what you perceive, be it what you perceive individually or what someone else has projected onto you as a solve. To your very statement and and question, people often hide from that, saying, okay, let me just get to the end result, especially in the corporate world where everything is based off of return on investment. Right. Return on my energy. Like, hey, let's let's go. (laughs) I just need to solve this, check the box and let's move on with my life. So it's even more important to really establish that foundation up front. And because of that, I spend a lot of time talking to them up front about, okay, here's what you perceive is happening. Now, here's some of your choices in this. Let's talk about what you're willing to do. Let's talk. I mean, let's just be honest. We're not trying to hide anything. This is not an indictment against you. It does mean that let's acknowledge who you are. Let's acknowledge those choices, and now let's move forward. And sometimes it's a struggle because, again, people hide from this. Um, I recall uh, having a client. um, She felt overwhelmed, and that's what her biggest issue was. And She was a a small business owner, um, just getting it kicked off the ground. And in that example, feeling overwhelmed, obviously, what would one do? Start to be able to delegate. Delegate to your board of directors. Start delegating to individuals who report to you. Yet, when we came to the idea of delegation, did she want to delegate? No. It's like, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. They're looking for me to do this. Well, it can't be all you and have this context of being overwhelmed. Oh, yeah, by the way, you wanted to run a separate side business that was outside of this that would pay for this new startup company, along with two other things you wanted to do. So now let's figure out what your choice is but yet you thought you were overwhelmed. Well, you are, <laughs> but based on your choice of now not being able to delegate, although you said you wanted to, although said you were willing to, you didn't. You are right back where you are. And so it's, it's an ongoing dialogue. So it's, it's being able to show and demonstrate a mirror to people, to one saying, hey, here's what we are deciding in a moment of truth, of, of, of calmness of that point of before the storm hits, let's now think through what is actually, can we do and let's plan for that so that when the storm hits, we're better prepared or at least we acknowledge what we're supposed to be doing. And now it comes down to choice and then action. And in this uh, particular individual's case, um, she often struggled with that and in across that journey, but it's something that was o- overt in that respect. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, it's interesting because that's just randomly another
0: topic I thought a lot about is, um, you know, people being put in leadership positions. And, you know, it's, it's always interesting to me when I watch somebody be put into a leader position, leadership position, either for the first time, or when they don't have a lot of experience with it, or they've just been stuck in, you know, their ways for a long time. And I'm curious if you think that it comes down to insecurity, because when I hear that story of you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed, but I won't delegate anything to anybody else. You know, for me, that kind of shoots up the red flag of like, oh, is that coming from a place of insecurity that, you know, you feel like you need to get all of the um, accolades for it, right? Or that you feel like nobody else can do it as good as you can, or that, Mm -hmm. you know, you won't be able to handle it if they screw up or whatever it might be. And I'm curious, do you
1: think that that's where it comes from? Or
0: have you found another root cause
1: that you've seen? Yeah, I I think it's to what you described, there is a part part of it that is insecurity. Um, And it could be that no one else can do it as well as I can. Um, Which leads to the second part is, how have I been rewarded in the past? How has success been defined for me? In that respect is sometimes it's, I have to do the work. And how well have I been able to demonstrate and what have I been rewarded based on, be it in the context of a business ownership perspective, or within a corporate, more structured boxed uh, um, perspective. And so when you combine the fear with now your reward, now you've got something that you're working with as you just described, and now you can establish the patterns. Now you can understand the templates of someone and how they're operating. And for this particular individual, and that's what I established with her. I understood immediately amongst our, one of our first two meetings I said, it doesn't seem like you have an overwhelmed problem. It seems like now what are you willing to give up <laughs> and yeah. who can you trust, All right? And if you don't have the right people, now let's, then now let's think about the hiring. Now let's think about what you feel comfortable giving up. And now let's figure out what are you defining as successful, knowing that success is the business and taking it out of the context of success as an individual. Yeah. And I think some that's one of the challenges that I've seen as a consistent theme around that fear and how we define truly our success and how we've been rewarded in the past really influence uh, some of our behaviors, especially in leaders. Yeah,
0: for sure. And I think, I think that's a big word, fear, right? And I think that yeah. it, it plays into a lot of different parts of our lives and you know, a lot of different ways that it shows up. And you know, I'm kind of curious too of these, again, seemingly completely different environments, right? Uh, you know, from a 24 hour lockdown ward to you know, going more corporate America Mm -hmm. i'm curious you know is there some similar themes that you saw come up you know with people struggling with you know of when you really get down to the root of it like yes the details are going to be different but when you get down to the root of it you know is it fear is it insecurity is it um you know things coming from their childhood and how much crossover was there Um, i'm curious because it's it's I'm curious to see if there was the same root causes, but they show up in different, in different ways, in different people of, you know, sometimes they'll go down one path, sometimes they'll go down the other path.
1: Yes, and, and you know, it, there, there's a lot of similarities, but their starting point's a lot different and what they're trying to solve for is a lot different. On that ward piece, it's because of chemical imbalance. They're likely they're having taking medicine and you have to get them recycled onto new medicine and then go through individual therapy. Yeah. as well as therapy versus, you know, obviously in the corporate space, while some may need therapy and otherwise, you know, aren't, um, aren't there for that purpose. Yeah. But there is a little, quite a bit of similarity in that respect. The first being, when I start off from a discovery standpoint, what are we solving for? And really being able to understand, understand okay, what is, what's this person's challenge? What is that that we are really driving towards? And I, and I talk about this in the, as a guide for in my book actually. Um, really understanding what are we solving for now from a a clinical standpoint it's now okay we need to make sure they're on their medicines making sure that we are now keeping track of them on a more consistent basis from a corporate standpoint it's a function of what is their perceived outcomes or challenges that they have or how we springboarding them into a new role that we are now developing them for because in the corporate space and even one-on-one it could be positive It, it doesn't always have to be negative But the other part behind that very similar, especially from the upfront piece is establishing a foundation and in particular, the environment of our people, places and things. One of the biggest challenges that I had when I went to, when I was in the clinical space was that we're in a 24 hour lockdown ward. Can't stress that enough. (laughs) I mean, just imagine being in that space. But what that implies are several things. One, I've got a captive audience. You're not going anywhere. You are actually staying here for 14 days and likely even longer. In that context, you're on a regiment. you're scheduled, you're taking your medicine in the morning, you're going to eat breakfast, you're going to do group therapy, you might have one-on-one therapy, you might see the doctor, you'll get outside, um, do some exercise, you come back in. It is extremely regimented, absolutely to the T. But guess what happens after you take them outside, outside of that regimented, environment to get them recycled, to get them feeling comfortable. You're putting them back in an environment that may or may not support that same level of regimen. One, because they're now changing, rechanging back into, I've got to now take these pills every single day. I'm feeling fine, I'm feeling great. And then they get overconfident. Secondly, now from that regimen standpoint, they're with their family and friends of whom don't have you know, to be in the lockdown order don't have to take medicine. So now there's a stigma associated with that. So often what would happen is you know while we tried to meet with the parents and are trying to meet with the families to actually get them more acclimated and changing the structure of their environment often they'd be right back three four months later for the same reasons cycling off their own medicine oh i'm fine my environment isn't necessarily supportive of that that's also similar to what happens in the corporate space as well for leaders because we get comfortable again going back to they're successful or they've been promoted or we just need to change a few things here to refine our skills So they already know they're doing well. I just need to change this one thing. For them, it's their environment of how have they surrounded themselves, be it in their people, places and things that support who they've become today because why change? Making great money, got a lot of opportunities. I've got great staff. But the idea around that is now different in the corporate space. It's like, okay, we need to start changing a few things. So when you go to a meeting, what does that routine look like? When you're actually having a conversation, how are you building trust and showing authenticity? How are you creating a certain level of engagement? And now how do you need to show up? Those are different behaviors. Now how we're gonna to try to reinforce that now in, a, in an environment that now you have choice around. So there's a little bit more free, uh, leeway in that respect and how to integrate that now with that choice and how to actually apply it. But the principles are still the same. And I delve into that into the book as well recognizing the similarities that um, is a common thread between both audiences, but just applied in a different way. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And, you know, my
0: mind went back to that word fear again, right? Because I think a lot of times, you know, especially being in leadership positions, you know, within a company, a lot of times your people will lead based off of fear, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of actually trying to foster real engagement, real feedback, it is, you know, fostering that fear of what I say goes. And, you know, you know, sometimes you're expendable, so you better work hard. And, you know, I've just, I've just seen, And, you know, thought about how unsustainable it is, right? Mm -hmm. And even though it is the overarching culture in a lot of places, um, you know, that's why people leave. That's why there's turnover. That's why, you know, there'll always be a cap on the upside. And, you know, I'm curious, have you run into that with your people if they're doing it consciously or
1: subconsciously, the, um, you know, clients that you're coaching? Yeah, you know, I think it's both consciously and subconsciously. Um, where that fear is coming out. And that fear comes out by how they respond to certain topics or how they respond in an email or, or conversation or even their behaviors and, and how they create engagement. A lot of it can be tracked back down the fear. It's like, what are you afraid of? What are you now, what do we now need to remove so that we take it out of fear and take it one of empowerment, be it with your direct reports, it could be your peers, or it even could be even their, their interaction with the, those above them. Because that's extremely, um, it, gotta acknowledge that, that fear of just having conversations. Well, I'm, in an example, I'm, someone might be used to not saying a word when their boss is in in a meeting. Well, what fear is that driven from? Is it personal? Is it a reaction that you received in one particular meeting? Is this the culture of the environment that you're in? Now we have to delve into that a little bit and to figure out if this is something that is part of our priority to change, then now let's look for opportunities to exercise that, that level of ability. But with fear comes risk and vulnerability. That with any change, I don't, personal, corporate, or even in the world, there is a certain level of vulnerability that, that does come with that. Um, I recall being a, a manager and, you know, for, for a team, about 15 people. And one of the biggest things that I always reinforced with them was, I want you to fail. And the reason is that I want that failure to offer us a place of reference, not of resident. So that can get you to grow. Now I'm gonna put you in situations where that growth is going to be continuous because quite frankly, in this particular instance, they were trainers and they were very good at their job, but yet getting stale and they need to be pushed in different areas to learn new curriculum, do different topics, present in different ways. I also recognize that their performance impacted mine. So that's another part of the fear, right? As we think about certain leaders that now my team's a reflection of me, but I, I looked at that fear and said, no, that's something that's good. I want them to fail because one, that's even gonna provide even more motivation for me to actually coach and really be present with my team on one being very specific on what I want them to try. Secondly, we're gonna look fear in that in the face and look failure and say, you know what? That's our baseline. And now we're going to improve. That does take some level of vulnerability. That also takes some level of confidence knowing that I got this and I'm not worried about a specific outcome as much as I'm building towards capabilities. It's also a reason why the tagline of my book is um, helping you build your capabilities, right? right? And the word capabilities is extremely important. It's not an outcome. It's how am I helping you along your journey? And the reality is sometimes leaders get caught up in, how am I being perceived or that failure is my anchor point? When in reality, it's only your anchor point. If you let it be now, how do we move forward and say, you know what, here's why I course corrected to make progress. No,
0: it's really interesting that you bring up vulnerability and it was really the overarching theme, um, last year for me, uh, vulnerability was a huge piece because I realized that I've never truly been vulnerable with anybody in my entire life. And so slowly opening up and slowly, you know, um, sharing more and more and more it led to so much growth on my end and honestly you know looking at it has also made me way more capable and you know i'm curious on your thoughts on how does one foster either vulnerability in their team or within their self and do you think that safety plays a key um, ingredient in it and what i mean by that is is it a requirement to have a safe environment in order to be vulnerable? Is that the key ingredient, or is it something, that, something else that you've seen?
1: Well, I think the, the safety is, is relative to who you ask and when you ask them, and, and, and that level of vulnerability of which we're really willing to put ourselves through. It actually even starts more so towards what am I willing to do? Because a choice of, of a single person is different than the choice of someone who's married with kids looking at the same problem. And what they're willing to risk in that, and how much vulnerability are they really going to put themselves in? And so, I just want to at least acknowledge that differentiator because not all not all risks and vulnerabilities are treated the same. But that being said, I would say that there is certain level of support that comes along with that. Um, one of the pieces that I'm, I'm a huge proponent of is having a support team, maybe that that's there to help champion or create a situation where it's going to force you to do something a little bit different, and. That takes confidence in yourself. If, if you don't have a belief that you can get something done, I can almost guarantee you that you won't achieve it. Um, when I was doing my dissertation, my topic was around confidence of an individual to get, achieve a particular outcome, as well as the confidence they had in their leaders and actually coaching them to, to uh, specific uh, goals. And what we found was that people were willing to put forth the effort and execute if they had one, the right support, they had the right feedback and the willing, and they had their own personal motivation to move forward. Um, now, obviously, as we think about it from a, a, a scoring standpoint, we typically rate ourselves higher um, on, on goals and expectations, because, hey, I put forth 200 hours worth of, of work. Um, I don't care if I just moved an inch, but I put in 200 hours worth of work, so I'm getting credit for all those 200 hours. Um, but, it, but others might see that a little bit differently. But we have to be vulnerable to be able to put ourselves out in a place that really expands us. And I think this last year, as you described from your own journey, for me, likewise, has been truly that transformative opportunity to build a capability to be vulnerable in a lot different ways, both with my book, both with hopping on podcasts, and just sharing my thoughts in ways that that, um, I hadn't previously. I would like to put a, a pin in this for a moment, but and now pivot to you. Cause I, I know that one of the things that you've shared on previous podcasts and, and have, have identified is around your own journey and you know, that quarter life crisis, if you will, you know, I'm curious in your experience um, as you think about the vulnerability that it took um, around that transition, um, what your experience might've been. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, it's, it's interesting. I just want
0: to touch on the vulnerability piece for myself really quickly is that for me, I think the unlock was doing it in, um, you know, a safe environment. And it, I love that you brought that up of, you know, Mm -hmm. what does safe mean? And it's different for every single person that you ask and at every single different time that you ask them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was finding a very close group of individuals. Uh, It was joining a men's group uh, Mm -hmm. where, you know, I really started to open up about the deepest, darkest depths of myself that I hold, held so much shame around. And I thought if anybody knew them, like they would never talk to me again, they would never look at me again, they would, I would be a terrible person, whatever it might be. And slowly but surely, you know, every, every week, I'd kind of crack open a little bit more, crack open a little bit more, and then I got more comfortable with vulnerability. And once I was able to, um, you know, do it in that environment, and, you know, Realize that there is that safety around it. of I can tell people this and the world doesn't end and you know, like it doesn't make me a terrible person and all those different things. I was able to do it more and more, which goes into starting the podcast. And for me, the, you know, that idea of being selfish to be selfless was I started it for very selfish reasons of Mm. okay. Like, you know, I've, I realized that the thing that I was afraid of the most and the thing that I wanted the most in life was to be in the, you know, proverbial spotlight. And that's not, you know, necessarily to say being famous or anything like that, it's more to be seen, is to be seen for who I am and have that attention on me. And the other big piece is like, okay, now I'm comfortable being vulnerable in front of people that I know and I trust and I'm close to Well, now for me, because I'm a very extreme person, I'm like, okay, well, I need to go do it for everybody. (laughs) And so (laughs) I'm going to put this out to the world and I'm going to talk about the things that I hold shame around. I'm going to talk about the things that, um, you know, I, I don't like talking about, I'm going to be as vulnerable as humanly possible in all of my conversations to force myself to get over it because I could also tell that that was holding me back. A lot of the things that I I held on to were holding me back and I couldn't move on and I couldn't, I couldn't achieve the things that I wanted to, if I was letting those weigh me down and that played into Mm -hmm. the quarter life crisis. And it started with, you know, a couple of years of therapy, um, then moved into the men's group, just doing a lot of kind of self-discovery and, you know, it stemmed from a place of unhappiness. And I just Mm -hmm. realized that something was wrong and I needed help. And For me, I was always the person that would look for the next achievement, right? Mm -hmm. And so once I achieve this, then I'll be happy. And then you'd get there and I'd be like, well, I don't feel any different. (laughs) You know, like, what is this? (laughs) Okay, I gotta go to the next one. I'm like, okay, I'll double that goal. And then once I hit that, then I'll be happy. And then same thing, I'd get there and be like, well, I don't feel any different. And so, you know, the story I tell myself is just that, you know, um, I just need to do more. I didn't didn't set my sights high enough. And Mm -hmm. I realized that it was actually an internal problem. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I held a very um, bad view of myself. I had very low self-worth. You know, I was able to fake confidence a lot of times, but there was not an ounce of it in there. And Mm -hmm. um, realizing that I just couldn't fake it anymore. And I needed to approach it from a different way. And that's kind of where I started to find my own voice. And um, I stalked. I stopped seeking approval because that was the other thing that guided my entire life was, um, you know, wanting to be seen, wanting that approval from people, wanting to, you know, get my worth from them, you know, them to tell me that I'm worthy, that I'm doing a good job, that, you know, I've achieved something. And um, I just got to the point where I was like, well, this isn't what I want anymore. And right. as I started to, um, you know, look at my life and think about what I wanted and where I was and. Um, I realized I had to make a big change. And so, you know, I always joke that I blew up my life, but it was, you know, kind of true <laughs> blew up my life, uh, started over from scratch. I'm okay. um, still recovering. Um, yeah. but even though, you know, it's funny looking at it externally, people looking in at me, it's probably the lowest, you know, called status that I've had mm-hmm. in my entire life. However, it is internally the happiest I've ever been and the best I've ever experienced. And so, yeah, that that's a little bit behind the quarter life crisis and what's kicked that off, and you know why some of these topics are so important to me. Because, you know, I've literally had people that I hadn't seen in you know about a year, year and a half, um, and I recently connected with them again, and literally them be like, "You're completely different. Like you're a new person. Like I've seen so much change in you." And realizing just the change inside myself and i um, hoping that other people can find that too so that's where a lot of the stuff that I do comes from
1: yeah and I mean that's a that's a great story I, I think it's what a lot of us go through especially again as we transform our stories and finding our voice and as you describe even yours being in the not necessarily spotlight but having your voice heard and going through that transformation and saying okay now I just need to bomb everything that I'm doing um, to me that's you know, that really speaks volumes of one, recognizing where you want to be, but secondly, changing your environment. Like, look, I got to change everything. And sometimes just giving up a lot and it goes back to that vulnerable place because you didn't just bomb something. Now you have to deal with the ramifications from it yeah. and having confidence say, you know what? This is worth the risk. This is worth my time. And I think it's when you put it into that context is your story articulates i think and even when i talk about with the readers as well this is about you at the end of the day this is your story and what are you willing to do and it's okay to bomb and 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 just do something different and change everything that's around you but you're also gonna have the confidence to get out of there too and that's okay you're, you're gonna get there and sometimes you do have to take those changes because i i know i've done the same um, yeah. in a lot of respects um <laughs> in maybe certain and somewhat similar but in different characters um per se but it's um i can definitely understand um blowing up stuff and um <laughs> yeah and, and saying hey i need to in order for me to be the person i want to be and as others see me as being i need to change everything for sure so and, and you know
0: that's i i think that that's one thing i really resonated a ton with though you know, through this conversation, our previous one as well is this idea of looking at the individual, right? Because everybody is so different and everybody has their own, you know, you know, people call it baggage, but their own experiences and, you know, what they've lived through their own goals, their own, you know, circumstances, environments, everything is so different and looking at each person, right? And having them acknowledge that as well. And, um, you know, I've it's why a lot of times I have a problem with blanket advice, right? Right. And I think I see myself as an outlier as well. And so I'm like, okay, even if this advice works for most of the bell curve, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work for everybody. And taking that with a grain of salt and not just following it of, oh, this is advice from, you know, a source that I trust or somebody that I look up to, or this is what they did. And so I'm going to do the same exact thing um, mm-hmm. which I don't believe. in. I believe in, you know, distilling those lessons of, you know, what is, mm-hmm. what is the idea behind this? What is the lesson that is trying to get across and then right. shifting the details to fit your life. And so I'm curious, you know, how much you think of it the same way and kind of where that idea came from of looking at each person and asking them to look at themselves.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm 200% behind you, uh, as you mentioned that uh, in, in, in my, in the book, uh, that's why I spent so much time on you. Um, in that section, in the principle of you, as you as individuals and individuals, plural, because we all have characters. Uh, We all have the people of whom we've become and are and that guide our life. And having one idea that is transparent across everyone just doesn't fit. Um, It's also the reason uh, in, in my book, I actually give a number of different examples, both fiction and nonfiction, to offer a different perspective because two people can read the same thing and come away with something different because of their own template of what they have in their mind. But I'm asking people as we're having conversations or for themselves as they're reading the book, asking themselves questions that now reframe the experience to a new model. And as such, that it really stemmed from my experience early on in working with kids um, through therapy, as well as, as I started working with, with adults, knowing that some of the challenges are exactly the same, but, and we're using a similar principle and the art of question. Yet, when you ask someone that question, how their experience individually, how they're gonna take it's gonna change. You can put the same two people in the same household with relatively the same experience, they'll come up with different answers based off of their own perceptions, on their own environment, on their own people, places, and things that keep them safe that keep them knowledgeable around the ideas around the world. Because again, we, you know, one of the other points I want to hone in on and, and part of that is around our own personal biases that we come in. Because we, we come up with these biases to so we don't have to think, right? We just want to just react so we can make quick judgments. Um, that's a friendly face, I can go there. Ooh, the stove is hot, I don't want to touch it. Um, based off experience, but also bias. Ooh, if I see someone who's looking like this, I may need to stay away. You know, again, it, it could be that narrative that influences us all, but we we can look at the same thing and have a very unique perspective. As we think about changing and our story, it's a very personal journey. And it's one that can't be glossed over. Although the, the media and um, both from social and otherwise try to define us and put us into a place that makes us, all the same, yet we are very unique. So we're rewarding the uniqueness. But guess what happens? Everybody and their mother were going to go out there and try to do the same thing because that was cool. It was fun. It was wonderful. It's like, OK, I'm trying to be unique. I don't, don't follow me. Go and do your own thing. <laughs> right? um, and also not comparing ourselves to other people as well. And so it really, from that working with the children and the adults and now seeing just transformations, even in myself, acknowledging that journey is a very personal one and we don't need to apologize for it. It's an acknowledgement, acknowledgement of who we are, but also that empowers us to make the choices that are right for us that may, not, may or may not be right for someone else, but I can still get to the same goal, whatever that goal is. Love that. And, you know, it just, when you are talking about biases, it reminds me of, you
0: know, something I say a lot of, you know, a big piece of my work was looking back and challenging my beliefs around things. Of, you know, is this true or is this, you know, something that I decided was yeah. or something that somebody introduced to me, you know, mm-hmm. is this true or was this a decision I made when I was a child that I've held on for so long that I just assumed that is true. But when I challenge it, I realize it's, it's not. So um, I love that. And, you know, I want to go into this quickly, too, of just talking about goal setting, because I think that you have, you know, an interesting um, view on it. Because, you know, I've always had mm-hmm. problems with goal setting. I hate them. I hate setting goals. I hate the, like, the smart goal framework, the writing it out. I, it's not my personality. And, you know, as I dug into it, um, I kind of was able to pick out my problems with it. Right? Mm-hmm. And the first one being the difficulty of the goals. Um, you know, mm-hmm. either them being way too easy or essentially you're, you're setting this goal that you're going to hit no matter what, just for the confidence boost. Right. Right. Just so I can feel good. <laughs> I can feel good, and like that's great. And at the same time, it doesn't, you know, achieve really what goals are supposed to and pushing you and um, having you, you know, do more. The other one is when they're super rigid, right? Of uh, it's right. almost impossible to hit the goal, not because of the difficulty, but because how rigid it is. Of uh, there's no wiggle room, there's no chance for error. There's, you know, if outside forces come into play, you automatically fail your goal. right? Right. And that's one of the biggest ones. The second one is just the psychology behind being okay with not hitting a goal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, challenging it of, you know, really, in my opinion, the goals that you should be setting are ones that you're probably not going to hit, right? Because you want to challenge yourself to push to get it and realizing Mm -hmm. that you should celebrate the the progress that you've made, not a pass fail, right? Right. Um, yeah. and then the last one is a lot of times people setting goals that are dependent on other people's actions. Right. <laughs> yes. Instead of habits that they can form themselves. And yeah, you know, like for me, I was thinking, I related it back to business terms because that's easiest for me to wrap my head around. But, um, you know, a, a friend of mine was talking about essentially marketing, you know, his business and he's like, I'm going to, I don't remember the numbers, right, but I'm going to get 50 leads um, per month or per week or whatever it was. And, you know, for me, I'm like, I think that you should frame it more of, I'm going to spend 10 hours a week on marketing or whatever it might be. you know, the things that you can control and let the results, you know, um, fall where they may, because you could do a terrible job and still get results just by luck and you could do an amazing job and not get much results. But, you know, I do believe in the averages. And, you know, if you laid yeah. it out long enough, then, you know, the pieces are going to fall where they, where they should. And so I'm just curious your thoughts right. on that and your thoughts on goal setting
1: um, in general. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're, you're spot on a number of topics, you know, as we think about we'll start with the end and kind of go from the beginning there, I think, you know, when we have our goals and we say, let's get to 50 goal, you know, 50 leads, you're absolutely right. It's now you've hit an end point when it's, is it really 50 or it's about our behaviors. And it's really about how do you, again, I'm going to reinforce this word, building a capability. What's our true habits that we are now integrating into our life versus, Hey, I just achieved everything that I wanted and got the 50. Now I'm done. I'll even give it back to you on a, on a personal level for, for you, as you described you, when you're doing your transformation and looking for yourself, you realized you hit your ne- next goal and yet you still didn't really achieve your goal, right? Of being happy and, and, and that reward. So it now even reframes what actually success really means, and how do we make it pervasive in our lives so we can move forward? Um, in that context, I, I talk a little bit about um, the wily e. Coyote effect, you know, okay. from the, the the cartoon, the Roadrunner. Yeah. And no, there's no two instances where he ever where he ever used the same the same contraption to try to catch the Roadrunner. He never learned, and. And what would happen if he did catch the Roadrunner? One, the show would you know, obviously not exist, but, but, but as important, he wasn't solving the broader problem. Now, if he was probably really smart, he'd probably give the Roadrunner more food or find another Roadrunner. That way they get more Roadrunners and now he's just picking them off one at a time and while they're creating a family and spreading out, he can get more options rather than just that one. But that's here and or there. The reality is, 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 is as we think about goals, you know, it's oftentimes that we limit ourselves. And we limit ourselves by the end point and that that there is a finish line. But as we're talking about change, it really comes down to what am I consistently doing? Regardless of outcome, that outcome could be success. And now how do I refine it and put it into a different situation? It could be, I failed, now how do I refine? It even gets um, specifically to some of what you described earlier as well. And that is sometimes our goals are a little bit too easy just to make ourselves feel good. You know, I interjected in that moment, but it's truly, that's ultimately what happens. It's like, hey, I did this, congratulations. Um, now I'm gonna go back to do whatever I was gonna do before. Yeah. Um, or I'm gonna set something so hard that people go, whoa, that would be really cool, but you can't attain it. There was no buildup, right? There, we don't afford ourselves an opportunity to refine. We don't afford ourselves to really think through. I could have done everything right, but it still didn't feel right. Again, going back to the example that you used about yourself, you probably did everything right on all those new experiences, but it still didn't feel right. Now, how does it feel right for me so that even if I fail or don't succeed, however we define that, it's I'm doing the right behaviors. Now it's about refining. And it gets to our own neurosis, our own fears, that we have to get to something of conclusion. We have to get to an end point, because I don't want to keep doing this all the time. I get tired. (laughs) <laughs> I'm tired of change. I don't want to keep doing this anymore. Um, I'm tired to keep building. Like, okay, I'm done. I'm good. And in, 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 in full transparency, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes knowing is just okay. But other times when we're really transforming our story, sometimes it's, no, you're going to have to consistently do this. So it becomes habit. And that's the difference um, as we think about the use of SMART goals, which in an organizational setting is extremely important. And even our personal lives, it's extremely important as well. It's not to diminish that, but it is about that endpoint of being specific, measurable, accountable, results-oriented, trackable, and that we are owning. It's not for somebody else to do that as well. And the last point I'll bring up in that respect is it affords us an opportunity to also set limits. It refines, really, as we're looking at about our talking about progression and building a capability that goes over time, we're also giving ourselves the white lines that we're playing in. We're not trying to do too much, we're not trying to do too little when we're building capabilities, because we know we're building. We're gonna come back to it. We're gonna refine. We're gonna think about it. Oftentimes we don't give ourselves um, you know, that 50, 50 leads. Well, hell, where's the wiggle room in that? It's either you did or you didn't. Um, there's a quote that I like, I, I reference sometimes and it's um, um, by Jean Sartre. And it is, once we hear the details of success it's hard to distinguish it from defeat. And as we define ourselves in such rigid ways, it's like, that's the details of success. Once we don't achieve it, well, you didn't succeed, (laughs) right? And now it's black or white. Really, as we're thinking about behavioral transformation, personal transformation that we own ourselves, now it's a function of what are we building towards? And success defined by those capabilities and continuous actions and refinement really reshapes that narrative of success, as well as how we're building this for even sustainment. Yeah, amazing. Um,
0: thank you so much. As we wrap up here, uh, you know, I'm curious if there's
1: anything that we didn't get to or anything that you wanted to say before before we wrap up? No, and this has been a great conversation. I, I think we've touched on a number of topics that really articulate the challenges that a lot of people have. Um, it starts in my mind with a lot of foundational pieces of who we are, what are we solving for? Um, I was recently reading a a quote that said um, he who does not lay a foundation um, can course correct on the back end but at great peril to the architect and trouble to the or danger to the building and I thought that was extremely poignant and it was written in 1533 ironically that that author was really thinking towards building a solid foundation of what we're solving for. And while you might have great abilities to actually solve it later, quite frankly, if you don't do it up front, you're gonna put yourself in trouble by trying to go back and course correct and sweep things under the rug or at danger whatever you're trying to change because it may call come collapsing down. And so as I think about change and the last you know point that, that I'll reinforce is within, with my book and, and even how I coach, I'm really building towards the end of what can be sustained, what, is, what can be done. And it all starts with that foundation both on what you want and who you are. Everything else starts to become more fluid and I'm not going to say easier as much as you know what the white lines you're playing in so that you can build towards something of a new transformative story. Love
0: that. Um, Thanks for that. And uh, if people want to follow you or connect with
1: you, where would be the best place for them to do that? Sure. So I can be reached at roadsmith.com. So that's R H O D E S. -S 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 smith.com. That's where they can find um, my book, uh, Intention, um, as well as where I'll be speaking in other places um, related to some of my coaching areas. I can also be found on Twitter and Instagram at the handle of Dr. B underscore Intention. Awesome, and
0: we'll put those in the notes too, so that everyone can uh, get to them easy. Um, yeah. The last question that I like to ask everybody is, um, what does this next phase of your journey
1: look like? and take it however you want, personally, professionally, wherever you want to go with it. You know what, I think for me it's combined, much like your journey of what you described previously. It starts with my book, Intention. It's really pivoting from a lot of what I've been doing in the past. And when the book launches on the, on the 27th, it's really embarking upon being able to spread the message of how can we transform our st- stories? And being able to have dialogues, much similar to what we're having now, Jared, Um, But also taking to that another level of how can I individually move forward. And so that means getting out there and speaking more for myself, um, being more pronounced as I'm normally uh, not as uh, talkative or (laughs) out in front. um, Conversely to yourself or want to be out front in in that respect. So for me, that's going to be my continuous journey and creating instances around that so that I can give back, give back to people who are trying to improve, give back in a way when they are ready. That the book intention as well as myself are taking the right steps forward for myself individually but also the people of whom I'm working with from a coaching standpoint so that's those are going to be the biggest uh, steps I see in the near as well as long-term future for myself amazing thanks so much for doing this again
0: um (laughs) really think that people are going to be able to pull some great stuff out of this so uh we'll connect soon and thank you again all right all right sounds great Jared pleasure as
1: always thank you
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. We'd love to hear any feedback that you have through Instagram at Jared Salikin or by email jared at jaredsalikin.com as well as it really would mean the world to me if you liked and subscribed to the podcast. Thanks so much.